Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. So, post-US midterm elections, why exactly did that anticipated big blue wave turn into a little blue trickle? Rebel Commander Ezra Levant will offer his analysis. And speaking of failure to launch, one of the most bizarre sidebar stories to emerge from the US midterm elections was CNN running an opinion piece that advocated for a sex strike? <laughs> Martina Marcota will try to make sense of it all. And nothing compares to Sinead O'Connor and her newfound contempt for white people. This after the Irish singer recently converted to Islam, Jack Buckby will weigh in with his take. And finally, letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And as you may know, I was recently on assignment in Mexico following the 5,000 strong migrant caravan. I'll share some of your responses to my report on the garbage problem that is inherent to this march of the US bound migrants. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. That blue wave didn't happen. I mean, Trump's Republicans did lose 27 seats in the 435 seat House of Representatives as of last count. That number may have changed somewhat due to late counts. So it is true the Republicans did lose their majority there. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it is not unusual for voters to back away from a president during his midterm election. That is, in the middle of the president's four-year term. Trump lost 27 seats. Well, in 2010, halfway through his first term, Barack Obama lost 63 seats in the House. In 1994, halfway through Bill Clinton's first term, he lost 52 seats. Even mighty Ronald Reagan lost 26 seats through, uh, halfway through his first term in 1982. Look, it is a setback. But sorry, that ain't a blue wave. Uh, I think it could have been, I think it might have been, but then just a few weeks ago, the country, and I'd say the whole world, because we saw it up here in Canada, and the CBC in particular was obsessed with that up here, we all saw what a Congress would look like if it were under control of the Democrats. We saw the assassination attempt of Brett Kavanaugh, a judge with a sterling reputation, loved by his staff, by his friends, his clerks, both past and present, including the many female clerks who had worked with him, Literally a perfect reputation until the Democrats revved up their smear machine. And this Democrat Party lawyer, Michael Avenatti, the same lawyer who acted for that porn star Stormy Daniels, he brought forward, quote, clients who claimed that Kavanaugh had raped them, literally raped them, including some who said he repeatedly raped them as part of a gang in high school. Shocking allegations, insane really, outrageous. I mean, if they were true, not only should Kavanaugh not be put on the Supreme Court, he should be put in prison, but none of these charges had ever been made in public in decades, not during Kavanaugh's previous confirmation hearings for other judicial positions, not during all the FBI background checks on him in the past. The Democrats said anything they could say with a straight face, they threw everything at him they could. It was so extraordinarily over the top. 
and backed up with no facts or changing facts. And I think the world thought, oh my God, look at these maniacs. Well, the U.S. midterm elections are over and that anticipated big blue wave turned out to be more of a trickle in the days ahead. Newspapers and cable news networks will be chock full of analysis in terms of what happened and why it happened. Yet, could it be that the outrageous way in which the Democrats behaved during the Kavanaugh hearing prevented them from making more significant gains? At least that's the opinion of Rebel Commander Ezra Levant, who joins me now. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, wow, Ezra. it's a pleasure. Uh, you know what? I, I really believe that theory. I mean, look, Donald Trump, the polls were suggesting he was going to have a fairly significant setback in congressional and Senate races. Uh, even Republicans were worried about losing both houses. Yes. And that often happens. I mean, Barack Obama had serious losses. I think he lost 63 congressional seats in his first midterms. He's the record loser of yeah. all presidents in and midterms. Even Ronald Reagan, who yep. I think we all regard as a great president, a great yes. conservative, I think he lost 23 in 1982. Um, so what could have turned it around? I mean, those polls, I mean, I, listen, I know polls are somewhat discredited when it comes to Trump, but when Republicans themselves were bracing for losing it, and the losses in the House were fairly modest, and they won the governorship of Florida, and and my theory is this, severely normal Americans, not just Republicans, not just Democrats, but independents and just sort of regular folks saw the wild mob both on the streets and in the Senate going after Brett Kavanaugh. Yes. And they heard the insane accusations that this guy who had led this sterling, unimpeachable life, who had been investigated by the FBI on several occasions to vet him for lower courts, yeah. that this guy who looked like a picture-perfect candidate was being accused of, I'm not even kidding, they accused him of being a gang rapist in high school who week after week with a gang in high school would rape women. And apparently this was a secret for 30 years until the eve of his nomination. It was such like such an outrageous accusation. If it were true, he belonged not just not in the Supreme Court, he belonged in prison or yes. death penalty. Yes. It would be like accusing someone of murder, really. I mean, in my mind, rape is tantamount to murder. It's a capital offense in my mind. If someone's a gang rapist, that's like murder. They literally accuse this guy of something almost as bad as murder. And okay, you make that accusation, you better have something. And not only did the, the testimony in real time fall apart, but as we since have learned, uh, some of those witnesses have recanted, said they were just doing it for attention. Americans saw this, unless you were a diehard, extreme, never Trump maniac. And there, yeah. you know, let's say that's 30% of the people <laughs> and 90% of the press corps. The rest of Americans said, Ooh. And, and Ezra, you raised something here too, uh, the press corps. Um, I think this was part of the problem as well. There was such a focus, if you recall, during the hearing about Kavanaugh's demeanor. Oh, look at him getting nasty. Look, And, and I, I thought, if I was being falsely accused, I'd get nasty too. They weren't looking at the fact that this is a great case except for no evidence, no corroboration, witnesses whose testimony doesn't stand up. They weren't dealing with that. It was almost like yeah. he was presumed guilty and had to prove his innocence. And I think that kind of media coverage turned a lot of people off. The media coverage did, but I think people saw a premonition 
uh, they saw Diane Feinstein and her and Michael Avenatti, yes. the the porn star lawyer who was pulling together all these Stormy clients. Daniels yeah. representative. Yep. And and they said this is what it's going to be every day if these guys are given control of Congress. Yep. Because this is, you know, they're not even in the majority on this Judiciary Committee. And look at the mayhem they're causing. It's got nothing to do with proper government. It's got nothing to do with oversight or advice or consent. This is just smearing and attacking. And people said, yikes. And yep. I, I think they were a little bit upset for Brett Kavanaugh. I think they were a little bit worried about the, you know, false accusations and taking legitimate Me Too concerns, you know, about uh, sexual predators and just smearing innocent people with it. But mainly they thought, you know what? These Democrats say, they say, if they get the power, they're going to be impeach, 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 yeah. you know, prosecute, like it, nothing to do with government. And I think people took a step back and here's my proof. Yeah. Like, that's my theory. That's my hypothesis. Yeah. And here's my proof. There were Democrats from so-called red states who voted, on, I mean, all, all, all the senators voted on Kavanaugh. It, it moved out of the little judicial committee to the full Senate. Now, if you're a senator from a deep blue state like California, yep. you're voting against Kavanaugh, whatever. But yep. there were four what they call red states. Those are states that Trump carried. And they're Democrat senators in a Trump state. Yep. How did they vote? Well, Heidi Heitkamp of, of North Dakota, I think, uh, uh, going from memory here, Missouri, and there was one more, I'm sorry, I can't remember the states off the top of my head, where... But they paid a price. They voted against yeah. Kavanaugh and they lost yes. on Tuesday. But the one Democrat from the reddest red state there is, West Virginia, West Virginia is 68.5% for Trump yeah. in the last... So it is so Trumpy there. Yeah. <laughs> How can a Democrat win in the Trumpiest state in the union? The same as Joe Manchin. He voted for Kavanaugh. Right. So you have here. A and that was an important vote, given how close yeah. it came. Yeah. So you had three red state Dems. Yeah. Sorry, four. Let me count my fingers. <laughs> four. The three of them who voted against Kavanaugh were lost. And the one of them who voted for Kavanaugh one, despite Trump campaigning against him, having rallies against him, the Trumpiest state in the union, because West Virginians said, you know what? Joe Manchin's okay on this key issue, and we don't mind having Joe Manchin. We don't mind a Democrat, because he's not a madman. Yeah. He's not a Feinstein. He's not a Pelosi. He's not a crazy mobster. In fact, he's showing enough independence of judgment that he broke with his party to support Kavanaugh. That's the proof of my theory that you have this test of four red state Dems. The only one who won was the pro Kavanaugh red Democrat. And, and you know, I, and I don't think you're exaggerating when you use the term mob, uh, Ezra, because I think this was another factor. Even for those Americans who were voting Democrat, it's the lack of civility on the left. It, it's the move towards the Democrat elite of becoming more and more a radical party. You showed that clip in your commentary of people at the court doors literally scratching it like cats and in the in just a couple of days ago you had that mob of antifa outside tucker carlson's yeah. house saying we know where you sleep yeah. tucker right yeah and this is appalling this is not what america is all about yeah it's my belief that part of the success of the brexit vote in the united kingdom in 2016 was brits looking at germany and saying yikes 
That's what the EU globalist open borders thing is. Two million m migrants just marching in. Yeah. Let's get out of this. And so they, they saw their jurisdictions and said, yeah, we don't want that. And I think when you were down there covering the, the caravan, yes. I think a lot of Americans said, that's a mass of people coming here. We got mobs on the street. We got Antifa. We got mayhem. No to the mayhem. And that's what saved Donald Trump from larger losses, in my view. The battle's not over. Even right now, in notorious Broward County in uh, Florida, they're trying this to steal This is a scandal that's it. going on here. So the Democrat, yeah. and again, I don't think that looks good to Joe and Jane, average American. No. Um, most liberals in America are liberal. They're not far left. But the Democrat Party itself has become far left. Yeah. Ezra, we have to wrap it here. I mean, there's so many other angles, but you know, folks, there you have it. The Kavanaugh hearing, which I think the, in the post Me Too era that the Democrats thought was gonna be a win for him, backfired. And as Ezra alluded to, the migrant caravan. And I've always been suspicious of the timing that it's starting just weeks before the midterm elections. Big time backfire too. So maybe uh, in harmony, uh, this is what hoisted the Democrats on their own petard. Uh, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. I'm not exactly sure how sex and voting go together, but for Wednesday, Martin, she explains, plenty of us have sex once in a while to make our partners happy, but regular service sex is something else, an arguably destructive habit fostered by specific social conditions, a symptom that something is amiss in not just our sex lives, but in our larger lives and the culture more generally. It's time for a revolution at the polls and in the bedroom and in our understanding of who women are sexually and otherwise. Given the tight interweaving of economic and political power with sexual entitlement, female sexual autonomy has never been more urgent and women's sexual pleasure has never been more political. Let's consider what it might mean to go on a sex strike of sorts to get what we want rather than give what we think we owe others. In our case, a sex strike against service sex can be a powerful statement. That female desire, a metric of agency like women's votes, will be heard. This reminds me of an ancient Greek play called Lysistrata, where women withhold sex as a way of forcing men to negotiate peace during war, but it only inflames the battle between the sexes. This is just a bizarre correlation to me, politics and sex. I also think she's not aware of No Nut November. Lots of men are on strike from sex this month anyway, so joke is on her. She doesn't realize that men are also interested in having better relationships with women and sex by abstaining from sex in November, making it more meaningful when they commence in December. But to have a woman actively deprive a man just for power and politics, that can actually cause the opposite of her desired effect, just like in this ancient play. Sex, sex, sex. That's all you ever hear about these days, isn't it, folks? In any event, to discuss one of the more surreal sidebars to emerge from this week's midterm elections in the U.S. is the lovely Martina Mercota. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Martina. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So Martina, a couple of things. First of all, thanks to an outrageous excess of jargon, 
Only a CNN op-ed piece about sex could possibly make the idea of sex so downright unsexy. But correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong here. If a woman is indeed trading sex for something she wants, aren't we kind of getting perilously close to the realm of prostitution here? I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, they like to prostitutes use sex for power, right? And that's kind of what they're trying to do. Yeah, and I mean, isn't that the polar opposite of feminism? I mean, I thought the idea is that, you know, a, a woman should be judged for her, her accomplishments, uh, for her brain, uh, for who she is, and not to be treated as a sex object. But this uh, CNN op-ed writer, she seems to be reversing this uh, back to the bad old days, I guess. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not really relationships are not supposed to be about sex I and mean, they're using women and their sex as as a talking point as a power tool which is you're right the opposite of of feminism but what i find interesting about it is that it's just it, that's not the dynamic between men and women what it should be i think a healthier dynamic is mutual respect um pleasing each other she seems to talk about sex in such a negative way that it's just just to please a man jeez i wonder what she's like in bed no you know you're right i mean the equality element isn't there and you know martina i'm trying to drill down and think of what she's trying to say in absolute tangible terms i mean there's this quote uh, from Wednesday Martin, where she says, let's consider what it might mean to go on a sex strike of sorts to get what we want, I guess the we being woman, rather than give what we think we owe to others. So because this was written in the context of the midterm elections, um, mm. I, I'm just going to make a hypothesis here, Martina. Is she saying that, say the woman in a, a couple is a, um, a voting Democrat and the hubby is voting Republican, is she kind of implying, uh, you better vote Democrat or else there's no horizontal jogging for you tonight? Yeah, and it's like, or else. And that's the most horrible <laughs> part. And it's really just going to turn men off, get them to vote Republican even more, if that's the case. And, um, you know, there is an ancient Greek play called uh, Lysistrata where that's what the women decided to do in, in times of war to, to get the men to you know, stop fighting or whatever was to withhold sex. And it, it only created more of a divide between the sexes. So if they can take a lesson from this ancient Greek play would be this might not work out so well. Maybe this is not a good idea. Yeah, indeed. You mentioned that in your commentary, Martina. And, and I'm wondering, you know, that would seem to be one immediate effect that I would imagine with a lot of guys, it was just, it would, this would just make men resentful for exactly. so many reasons. But, you know, this is one of these stories that gets a lot of play. Let's have a sex strike, a national sex strike. Let's shut down the bedroom unless we get our way and help the Democrats. Yet, in what do you think in tangible terms, Martina, that translated into in the last week or month in terms of women in America actually heeding this advice? I mean, is there even 10 women that actually followed through on this? <laughs> I can't imagine it. I mean, maybe like Madonna or something. But, you know, that's <laughs> funny because, you know, Madonna during the election was saying she's going to give blowjobs to anyone just to vote Democrat. <laughs> and now they went the other way and said no sex. <laughs> so I can't keep up with them. I, I really can't. I'm completely confused, too. Um, and the other thing, too, um, you mentioned in terms of a... Um, uh, this is irony on a cosmic level, I guess, 
Um, and I had never heard of this until I saw your uh, commentary, but there's evidently something called No Nut November, which, <laughs> which I originally thought was uh, telling people to avoid eating cashews for the month of November for some reason. But, um, but it's not. It's about men uh, abstaining uh, for, from sex. Martina, I, like I said, I've never heard about this until you mentioned it. Why is there a No Nut November? Yeah, <laughs> and, well, it, and what's no, the point? <laughs> I mean, it's something that the young um, conservative men do yearly uh, in November. They call it No Nut November. It certainly sounds like it's uh, a hypoallergenic kind of thing or something. I don't know, whatever it's called. And um, like a nut allergy or something. But uh, no, <laughs> no, the idea of it is. Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, it, it's it's a conservative thing that men are trying and, and withholding sex in November, even um, with themselves, uh, just to uh, spark that uh, desire back up in December, maybe go out, meet real women and engage instead of just um, living, because uh, that's what it is. But the left live in, in excess and doing whatever they want. And it's it's kind of even sounds like a Catholic thing to me, where it's like when you can abstain, you can then appreciate and focus on other things. And, and maybe it's a better thing for yourself. So it's, it's something a lot of young men are doing, which is really quite amazing. Instead of just all excess, everything, all the time, sex, sex, sex. They, they, they try to abstain and become better men, be better partners, try to focus on, put their energies into something else for that time. I think it's really interesting. I don't know, Martina. I think this might be a case of be careful what you wish for. No nut November might turn into no nut 12 months of the year. <laughs> so, But uh, one last question going back to this um, sex strike uh, before the elections. At the end of the day, when I look at this uh, story, uh, Martina, I just think to myself, this is yet again, modern feminism completely losing its way. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I, again, they don't know how to uh, make up their mind. Are they giving away sex for votes? Are they taking away sex for votes? I mean, it sounds like like desperation when they start using sex for politics that way. Um, I, I don't think that's the way to go for, for women. I think feminists back in the day, I think the suffragettes would be appalled by this type of behavior or, or concepts. It, it's, I don't think they'd be too happy about it. It not, does not seem feminist to me at all. Oh, 100%. I don't think the suffragettes would even recognize what modern feminism has become, yeah, Martina. Anyways, it was, a, it was a humorous piece. Thank you so much for flagging <laughs> it, and thanks for coming on Rebel Roundup, my friend. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that was Martina Marcota in London. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. I did a video about Sinead O'Connor not too long ago about how she's converted to Islam and what I said in that video is that if she's such a vulnerable and impressionable person that the minute she meets radical people involved in that religion, she might well go down that route too. She's very, very vulnerable, easy to uh, plant ideas in her head uh, and she's not in a great place and it looks like what I said has in fact happened. There's an article here in the Metro that I wanted to read with you. Um, they are disgusting. Sinead O'Connor never wants to spend time with white people again. 
Amazing. Um, so it says Sinead O'Connor has claimed she doesn't want to spend any more time with disgusting white people. Uh, the singer recently announced she converted to Islam. However, in the midst of her tweets about her practice of Islam, the 51-year-old made a statement which she acknowledged was so racist, I never thought my soul could ever feel it. So she knows it's racist, but she's going ahead and saying it anyway. Uh, there's a few tweets here that you can look at them yourself, but she says, um, I'm terribly sorry. What I'm about to say is something so racist. I never thought my soul could ever feel it, but truly I never want to spend time with white people again. If that's what non-Muslims are called, not for one moment, for any reason, they are disgusting. Is it any wonder people are becoming increasingly quote-unquote Islamophobic according to the press and all these different think tanks? Do you not think people are maybe scared when they see stuff like this? Is it, It's not really a great advertisement for the religion or the ideology, is it? When somebody so famous converts to the religion, within a matter of days she's talking about how white people are disgusting. You know, if by any chance Sinead O'Connor happens to be watching this right now, all I can say is this. And nothing compares to you. And with more on this latest slice of lunacy, courtesy of the Irish singer, is our London-based rebel, Jack Buckby. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Jack. Hello, thanks for having me back on. Always a pleasure, Jack. So Jack, let's cut to the chase here. Even though she apparently has contempt for white people, has Sinead O'Connor at long last found peace and tranquility by converting to Islam or is Sinead O'Connor simply batshite crazy? You know, I kind of feel like I've become a gossip columnist on The Rebel <laughs> with some of this stuff lately. Uh, no, I think she's just gone batshit. But uh, at the same time, I'm worried about the poor woman as well. I mean, actually, some, some Muslim guy with a YouTube channel did a response video to my report um, saying that I was being mean and I was mocking her for finally finding peace in her life when actually I was doing quite the opposite. I called on people not to mock her. I said we should pray for her uh, and that I'm concerned that she's being used by this religion. And I might also add, by the way, I said in my first report on it, I said, I wonder how she'll react once she reached the radical elements of her new religion, because that will happen. And a week later, it happened. And now she's an anti-Semite as well as an anti-white, uh, self-hating racist. And, and you know what, Jack? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Oh, and by the way, I agree. I thought your piece was very sympathetic to her because I really do think she might be suffering from some mental illness issues here. But um, correct me if I'm wrong. I would imagine that many Muslims, for different reasons, might be cringing at the idea of Sinead O'Connor not converting to Islam, but converting to Islam on a public uh, stage in which she is saying some really reprehensible things. Because even if you believed in that, there's kind of a strategic way to go about, mm. you know, doing it, you know, to, you know, position Islam as the religion of peace and, you know, not, you know, put that under the uh, the spotlight. And, and of course, there are other Muslims who uh, are, are law abiding, they're good citizens, and they're probably shaking their head going, oh, God, just what our religion needs now. What do you think about that, Jack? That's an interesting point. There's obviously some people are going to be quite unhappy about her doing that. Let's be honest, there's going to be some Muslims who are concerned about her doing it because they're peaceful Muslims who don't quite understand what their religion entails and they don't want another extremist on their hands. Yep. Uh, and I'd say they were good folk, misguided, but good folk. There's the people who follow that religion and ideology who are extremists but don't want to reveal it as extremists and they're the ones who are not going to like Sinead. But what I have seen is she's kind of been embraced with open arms by many people because they see it as they've taken away someone that white people love. 
Um, and that's that's the heads and tails of it. Uh, they've taken away a celebrity. Um, but failing to realize that this, well, actually, it's not failing to realize that this woman's vulnerable. I mean, that's the whole reason they've taken her in, isn't it? It's easier to manipulate vulnerable people. They don't seem to be talking about the discrepancies with all of this, by the way. I mean, she's a singer. Music's haram. Uh, they, you're not allowed to listen to music. And she's a singer. And to top that off, when she's doing that video of singing and doing this with her hands, the call to prayer, women aren't allowed to sing the call to prayer. So I, I don't understand why the discrepancies are being ignored here. Um, obviously, they're just using this very mentally unstable woman. Geez, you know, you really raise an interesting point there. I mean, I, what would happen if a hog farmer wanted to convert to Islam? I guess you've really got a, a, a pickle on your hands there. But, but Jack, I want to concentrate on something here that's, uh, I, I think, uh, the crux of the matter. She is white. She is saying mm -hmm. she doesn't want to have to, anything to do with white people anymore. That's why she's converted to Islam. But... There must be millions of Caucasian Muslims in the world. What is, where is she making this connection of race and religion? I don't know. I suppose most white people aren't Muslim. And so she's taking that line from Muslims that white people are the enemy. And she's so self-hating. We know she's self-hating. She's tried to commit suicide. Uh, she's been found um after being missing for days and she's had overdoses and all these terrible things, it's not a big jump to be self-hating, trying to kill oneself to then becoming self-hating and adapting to some kind of enemy ideology that hates your own people. Uh, none of this makes any sense. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's all that different from what she was before. She's just changed the format in which she hates herself now. Yeah, and you know what? You raise a good point. Do you think maybe <clears throat> this is a phase that, you know, uh, going back uh, a few decades, uh, there was the infamous appearance on Saturday Night Live where she ripped the picture of the Pope in half. Uh, as you mentioned, she's gone on these uh, days where she's gone missing for several weeks. Uh, now it's a con conversion to Islam. I, Jack, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of weeks or months from now we're talking about Sinead O'Connor converting to Scientology. I mean, it, yeah. you know. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she's an ordained priest as well. Um, oh, so she clearly, she yeah, So I mean, she, she goes backwards and forwards. I think this poor woman's looking for meaning in her life. Uh, and that's what this Muslim guy who did the video about me said. He was praising about how great it is that Islam gives people meaning in their life. And it's good to have meaning in your life. But when that meaning is so negative and destructive and evil in many ways and anti-Semitic and anti-white, uh, I don't think that's a positive meaning to put on your life. I could find meaning tomorrow in my life as a drug dealer if I wanted. It doesn't mean it's a good thing to do. No, 100 percent. And and also, Jack, I think of, um, you know, I. I in that realm of uh, pop culture music, um, probably the the most uh, famous conversion to the uh, faith of Islam was Cat Stevens decades ago. Mm -hmm. So what would Sinead O'Connor's policy be on a fellow musician, a fellow Caucasian who has converted to Islam? Would he still be off the uh, do not invite list or uh, does she make an, ex an exception for a famous uh, Caucasian convert to Islam like herself? Is he Jewish? <laughs> oh, did I he don't. I just because if he is, that doesn't bode well. Because I can't imagine she'd want to be in the same room as him. But also, you never know. She might not really want to share a room with a man for much longer. Because she started putting those uh, garbage bags around her face as well. So you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's certainly not a, a good look she's sporting these days. Um, <laughs> you know, Jack. One last question: If 
the dynamics were a little different here. If this was um, somebody converting to, say, Christianity, <laughs> and they said something like, I don't want to have anything to do with black or brown people anymore. Mm. How would this be played out in the press as opposed to how the Sinead O'Connor story is now being played out in the media? It's a good question. Um, I think what it would probably happen uh, is she would be equally condemned, but what would happen, uh, which would be different, is they would use it as an example of a wider problem. The problem with Christians, the problem with white people, yes. the problem with racists. Um, but when she comes out as a, as a Muslim, uh, is radicalized very quickly to the point where she's talking about the Talmud on Twitter uh, and Jews and satanic this, satanic that, and all this stuff. She's slammed for it as being crazy, but they don't talk about the wider issue of the people that are telling her to do it. Um, and that's where the discrepancy in the media comes. Yes, yet again, Jack, uh, the double standard is alive and well when it comes to issues of uh, race, religion, and culture, I imagine. So listen, great piece on this. Thank you so much for weighing in, my friend. Thanks a lot, take care. You got it. And that was Jack Buckby in London. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. It's the morning after in Sayula, Mexico, the most recent stopover of the migrant caravan. And you know, you can always tell where the caravan has been by what has been left behind. And namely, what is always left behind is this copious quantities of garbage strewn all over the town. This is the town municipal center. Hundreds of migrants were camped out here overnight. And indeed, the lucky ones, I suppose, got to actually go inside the structure. Uh, let's go check that out now and see how that has been left. Well, we're inside the municipal compound where many of the migrants in the caravan spent the evening last night. And it is an absolute disaster in terms of the garbage that's been left behind. Everything from food containers, food, clothing. Somebody left a wig uh, behind. I wonder what the story is there. But we will walk through here and as you can see uh, it's just a, a disaster zone. Lots of diapers here for somebody to pick up. Discarded food. Looks still edible. Piles of clothing here. Anywhere, anyway, in every room, in every hallway, there is just uh, copious quantities of garbage that have been left behind. And uh, I guess the, the trail continues. Well, the likes of CNN and MSNBC like to portray the migrant invasion as a caravan of peace. In fact, I'm surprised they don't call it the migrant parade. Yet when it comes to the mainstream media, you're really not going to get the skinny on the darker side of this trek to the United States. And that includes, as you just saw, the absolute mess that the caravan always leaves behind from discarded food packaging to dirty diapers. In any event, here's what some of you had to say. Edigi uh, writes, for the record, I am a Honduran living in Honduras. 
Millions of Hondurans are ashamed of this caravan. It does not represent us. Send them back. We are not snowflakes and we can take harsh criticism. One day we shall be self-sufficient. Viva Trump, viva Reagan, viva the freedom fighters, viva Israel. Well, Edigy, all I can say is that you are indeed a credit to your nation. Mucho gracias. And PE.STHLM writes, why not send a cleaning bill to Soros? Well, you know, George sure has the money to cover those costs, but I think Mr. Soros prefers to spend his dough on tearing down society as opposed to cleaning it up. And Bass Cannon Jake writes, huh, reminds me of what our streets look like after every leftist march slash rally. You know, funny you should say that, Jake. Earlier this year in downtown Toronto, on a Saturday night, I happened upon the fallout of yet another anti-Trump rally, rally near City Hall. The protest was long over, but the progressives left behind all their idiotic anti-Trump signs. They were strewn all over Queen Street. It was shameful to see this litter everywhere. So yeah, birds of a feather, I guess. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.